Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> these are the words of the Apostle Paul, or it might be more accurate to say these are the words of our God through the hand of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus and to you and I. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us to understand these words today. May you bless our marriages. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we celebrate Father's Day, and to do so, I'm continuing with our study of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. If you remember, we began that on Mother's Day and preached on uh, the husband's responsibility to the wife, and then I gave you this promise that today, on Father's Day, we would preach about, or I would preach about the wife's responsibility to the husband. And uh, so uh, that got an interesting response, but that is today's uh, passage, and my title this morning is Marriage and Trust, Marriage and Trust. When I think about Father's Day, and I told you last week a little bit about my dad and my memory of my dad, my father was in World War II. He literally dug trench after trench after trench and foxhole after foxhole and uh, fought the enemy fought for his life, fought for his nation, and uh, fought for the survival of our country. And that really affects a man in the way that men perceived themselves and were perceived as they came out of World War II is a little different than our, how our society perceives men now. My father didn't see his primary responsibility in a relational term. He didn't have a lot of warm, fuzzy moments with us and and uh, not a lot of hand-holding. We were not a huggy family. And um, that just wasn't how dad saw his function. His purpose was to provide for the family and to protect the family. But he was a great model for us at church as well. My dad was a good man. He just grew up in that man's man generation of fighters. Dad owned a number of guns. He didn't consider himself a gun owner or a gun collector. He, he wasn't a fiery, these are my rights, because again, he grew up in Texas, everybody had guns. And I remember my father's guns. I own his deer rifle. My brother has his shotgun, and we think of affectionately about his guns because they remind us of all those good times he shared with us because the time that we had together were often when we were shooting something. <laughs> And my father, who hunted deer and mostly quail and dove, did not do so for the sport. He was a barber, had five kids, and we were hungry. He needed to feed the kids, and we went fishing for the same purpose. You enjoy fishing, and I enjoy it as well, but mostly we just need something to eat. I remember my father in those terms. And so as we think about our fathers and celebrate Father's Day, I'm going to deal with this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And again, ladies, uh, you need to remember this in the context of what I shared on Mother's Day about the husband's responsibility to the wife. I encourage you to go back and watch that online. We have it on our website and on our Facebook page. 
And understanding the husband's responsibility, he then shares about the responsibility of the wife to her husband. Before I get there, I want to note a couple of things to you. First, if you're, uh, since, excuse me, since Mother's Day, I've had multiple husbands come to me with excitement and anticipation of today. And they would tell me they can't wait for me to tell their wives how to be. Now, I want you to know I'm going to share the word of God with your wife. But beyond that, I'm not telling your wife nothing. Okay? My own wife is here and I'm not telling her nothing either. Just what the word of God says. I've been married 23 years and I've learned, I'm learning when to keep my mouth shut. That's very important to the happiness of my relationship and to your marriage as well. I can tell my wife to submit to me and you can tell your wife to submit to you. There are two responses. Number one, won't do any good. <laughs> if she's not going to submit, you telling her to submit is not going to help. You telling her to submit over and over again is not going to help. And, and secondly, <clears throat> if your wife is pushed into submission by you, even if it did work, if you force your wife to submit, that's not submission, that's oppression. And an oppressed wife is never going to make a happy marriage. And so your wife is going to have to choose to do her part and to trust the word of God in her relationship with you, just as you're going to have to do your part without your wife forcing you to love her. Wives, you can't make them love you. As much as you've tried, you can't force your husband to love you sacrificially. He's got to learn that from the word of God. Now, you can pray for him and, and you can pray for her, men, that God will lead them and guide them and convict them. But today I'll share with you God's word and you've got to decide whether or not you want to apply it to your life, as is every Sunday. Number two, there is tremendous misunderstanding in this world about the nature of marriage and about the point of this passage. If you listen to the world, this passage will make you outright angry. Third, no other way to say this. If you don't believe in God, you're watching online, or if you're here because your family brought you here and you're an atheist, you don't believe in God, none of this is going to make any sense to you at all. It just won't. You're not going to get it. If you're independent of God, this passage and any other is not going to make much sense. So to understand this verse, first, I want to remind you of three important truths. Truth number one, the Bible is the ultimate book on equality. Now that might surprise some of you because the Bible was written in a very different time in a very different culture, thousands of years ago, in fact. So how can it be a book on equality when there was and is so much inequality in the world? Well, I'm, I can guarantee you, I promise you, the Bible is the best book on equality ever written by far. To prove it, consider these three teachings from the Bible. Number one, men and women are of equal value to God. Men and women have always been of equal value to God. I can go way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it tells us this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you read this on, on, on a surface level without understanding the context or even looking at the grammar, some might say, well, he talks about men first and then he mentions women at the end. 
But in fact, what he is doing in that first statement or that first clause is referring not to man, but to mankind, both men and women. I know that because in the last clause, he mentions both male and female in referencing to what he's just said. And he says he created them. So women were a part of the creation act and God created mankind in his own image. In fact, the Bible teaches that, that Eve was made out of a rib of Adam. And you can do the math. It, Adam was created in the image of God. And so Eve was created in the image of God as well. And so we see this equality that you ladies and men are created in the image of God. Period. Beyond nationality. Beyond skin color beyond gender, beyond age, beyond social standing, beyond political views, you were created in the image of God. And it is to God you need to look for your identity. And so you need to see that and understand that today. Men and women are of equal value. Secondly, husbands and wives are equally important in marriage. Husbands and wives are equally important in marriage. Now, to this applies to both of you, what I'm about to say. Husbands or wives, if you're sitting there today thinking, and you, this is what you typically do, you go through life every week thinking that basically you are the foundation of your marriage. And that good-for-nothing spouse of yours, <laughs> you put up with them because you're, you're so wonderful but basically, it's all you. This marriage is all you. You're already in trouble because it is not all you. In God's eyes, husbands and wives are equally important. Now, you may do everything. <laughs> you may work harder than your spouse. You may be more into your marriage than your spouse. But both you and your spouse equally share in the importance of your marriage. The moment you think you're more important in your marriage than your spouse, your marriage is in trouble. Men, the purpose and the goal of this passage in its entirety is to challenge you, not to accuse you. Ladies, the goal of this passage is to bless you, not to oppress you. Number three. Number one, men and women are of equal value. Number two, husbands and wives are equally important in marriage. And number three, equality does not equal sameness. Let me say that again. Equality does not equal sameness. Men and women are equal, but they are not the same. This world is blind, confused, and perplexing in its desire to make us the same. For example, in fact, the Bible tells us, husbands and wives have different needs for love and respect. Because God designed you, not our society, God. God designed a marriage, not our society, but God. God knows you and he knows how your marriage is supposed to work. He made it, he designed it. And God understood as he designed you as you are men, as he designed you as you are women, as he made you that way on purpose, he designed you to want and to need each other and to, to find your strength in someone else, not just you. 
I'm so thankful that my wife is different from me. I like me a lot, but I wouldn't want to marry me. <laughs> and she is very different. We're from different planets. We don't look anything alike. We, we don't like the same TV shows. We don't like the same food at all. But I am so thankful for her because she is different from me. Um, so husbands and wives have different needs for love and respect and God made us so that we will need one another. And here's basically what Paul is saying in this passage. Men need to feel respected by their wives and women need to feel loved by their husbands. So Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Then he tells us how to love our wives sacrificially. And then he says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands because submitting to your husband shows him respect. Now, it doesn't ever say, and I'll say this again in a minute probably, it doesn't ever say, husbands, love your wives as long as you think she deserves it. Or wives, submit to your husbands as long as all of his decisions are really good. But if he makes bad decisions or she is unloving, you just scrap all of this and you don't have to do any of it. He tells us to do it regardless of how our spouse is behaving. You do your part and let God do his part with your spouse. That is, Ephesians chapter 5 is a guide to help you reach your spouse at their level of need. The fact that you're different is a good thing. Now listen to me. Our culture does not know a thing about marriage. It is incompetent. That's why in Hollywood and politics, everybody's always breaking up. They can't get marriage right to save their life, and yet extraordinarily, they want to judge your marriage and my marriage and tell us how we're supposed to do it. They don't know anything about marriage. And it believes all differences between men and women are bad. For them, the goal of any relationship is not joy, peace, or fulfillment. And it is certainly not to glorify God. Their goal is to make sure that no one ever gets the upper hand. It all got to be even 50-50 all the time. Now that may be a good philosophy for a business contract, but it is a bad philosophy for marriage. It is a guaranteed formula for a bad marriage, and that's why so many of their marriages don't work. This world falsely believes that equality demands that we be the same. We have the same roles, the same advantages, and the same abilities. As for women, men and women, we are not the same. We have never been the same, and we will never be the same, and we're not supposed to be the same. Anyone who says that you and I must be the same is trying to sell you something. Advertisement time or something. Don't believe it, don't trust it. So here, here's where I'm trying to get today. Number one, I shared with you, the Bible is the ultimate truth on equality. Number two, notice by their very nature, marriages are designed to be sacrificial, not merely contractual. 
By their very nature, marriages in the Bible are designed to be sacrificial, not merely contractual. So where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for the church, that's sacrificial. Wives, he says, submit to your husbands. You don't need me to tell you that's sacrificial. I get that. You don't have to do that. You can demand your way all the time. You can demand to be the leader of your home. You may not say those words. Maybe you do. I don't know. But you want to be the leader. And I understand that. But God is telling you something else. To trust your husband. Submission is sacrificial. It is not easy to do. And men, we're not always the best leaders. I mean, I don't know most of you, but we're not always the best leaders. But that's why it's sacrificial. This dark world does not understand sacrificial because it does not understand what true love is. True love is always sacrificial. Why does it not understand what true love is? Because true love is found in Christ and him alone. He's the ultimate model of what is sacrifice. Notice in both mandates, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church and wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Both of those mandates immediately and explicitly mention God. You notice that? Because your relationship will never and can never be what it's supposed to be independent of God. God made your marriage, designed your marriage for him to be in the middle of it. God understands how relationships work because he has a relationship with you and his relationship desires are perfect. And so he has to be in the middle of it. And so that mandate shows that God is the key to both husband and wife and how we treat one another. It tells us that our role in marriage is to be complementary and not adversarial. It tells us that marriage is intended to be a blessing and not a curse. It tells us that our marriages and our God are inseparable. The very fabric of our marriage, excuse me, the very fabric of our marriage is woven in Christ. The very fabric of our marriage is to be woven in Christ. Number three. Submission is a bad word in our world. It's a bad word. Bad, bad, bad. It's also one of the most Christ-like attitudes that we can have. In fact, he begins the passage by saying, you noticed this probably a while ago, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. And then he says to the, to the wives, submit to your husband. Submission is a bad word in our world, but it is the most Christ-like attitude we can have. Jesus submitted to his mother at the wedding in Cana. Do you remember? She wanted him to turn, turn the water into the wine. It was a bad situation. It was embarrassing. And she knew Jesus could do anything that he wanted to do. He had the power to fix it all. And so she came to him and said, hey, we're out of wine. <clears throat> can, can you do something? And uh, she doesn't say can, but will you do something? And he could have said, in fact, he said, woman, you know, it is not yet my time. In other words, he wasn't planning to do that miracle. That was his first miracle, by the way, public miracle. He had other plans, but because his mother asked him to do it, he submitted to the wishes of his mom. 
to, to not do that would have been disobeying his mother, and that's one of the Ten Commandments. That would have been sin. So he submitted to his mother. Secondly, Jesus submitted to his disciples at the Last Supper. Here we have the, the, a part of Almighty God through whom all things are created, John chapter 1. And here he is at this Last Supper, taking off his outer garment, getting a bowl of water and a rag, and he's washing his disciples' feet, their dirty, stinky feet. Jesus is submitting even to his disciples. Three, Jesus submitted to the authorities when he allowed himself to be arrested. <laughs> I can't help but to chuckle. I, I keep having these YouTube videos pop up on my screen when I go to YouTube about people who resist uh, when the police officer stops them. And they're belligerent and they badger the police officer. And the captions all often say, attorney gets stopped by police officer, puts police officer, puts cop in his place. This, this, this concept that you and I have that we should constantly resist any authority. Now, who would call me in the middle of a sermon? Uh, well, that's probably my car warranty. Good grief. Where was I? You know, when Jesus was arrested, I mean, you talk about the upper hand. <laughs> you know, if you're going to get arrested or somebody's going to try to arrest you, it really helps if you're God incarnate. You know, nothing comes in more handy than a little bit of deity when somebody's trying to give you a hard time. And so the authorities come to arrest him. He could have done anything. He could have turned them all into pigs right there. Poof. I mean, he could have had a lot of fun with the whole thing. I mean, there are all kinds of things that come to my mind. He could have done to those people who came to arrest him. He could have done that. He had all authority, but he submitted himself to their authority and allowed himself to be arrested. You know, I, I grew up as a kid loving uh, Superman. I, I, he was my hero as a little boy. I got a Superman suit when I was six years old for Christmas. I'd run around all the house with a cape and the little outfit on. I love Superman. And there's this scene in, in super, one of the Superman movies called Man of Steel, and he gets arrested. He, he surrenders himself to mankind, and, and they put him in handcuffs. And so he has this conversation with Lois Lane. And she said, you let them arrest you? You let them put in, you in, in cuffs? And he said, well, you know, it wouldn't have been a much of an arrest if I resisted. And he said, if the, if the handcuffs make them feel more secure. But the moment he was done with the handcuffs, he just put his hands down and they popped loose, you know, because he's Superman. Well, it was, uh, in reality, that is the scene with Jesus. Jesus could have done anything. And he let them arrest him. You wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Oh, no. There would have been lightning everywhere. But Jesus submitted himself to the authorities. And lastly, Jesus submitted himself to God the Father when he allowed them to crucify him. Those agonizing hours and minutes in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying and pouring out his heart to God the Father. It says, if there is a way that this cup can be passed from me, but not my will, your will be done. 
He submitted to his father to the point of dying. Jesus knows a few things about submission. So ladies, don't you tell me that you're submitting to your husband is worse than that, is more challenging than that. It doesn't mean you have to agree with your husband on everything. It doesn't say agree with everything that he does. It doesn't say that he won't make mistakes sometimes. It doesn't mean that you have to obey him. There's a difference between the word submission in the Greek and the word obey. But it does mean generally you need to follow his leadership and you need to trust him. And you say, well, pastor, you know, my husband, he is not trustworthy. Maybe he's not. It doesn't say. Maybe you're not that easy to love sometimes. And maybe that's his excuse for not loving you. It doesn't say. There's no condition. These are unconditional. Husbands, you love your wives and you sacrifice for them. And wives, you submit to your husbands and God will bless your marriage if he's in the middle of it. It wasn't easy for Jesus, but he did so. Now, men, it doesn't mean that you and I can take advantage of that. But women, trust God enough to submit to your husband. I want to say this. I am so thankful to this church. I've been here for 23 years, and there's a reason why I've been able to be here so long as your pastor. And it not, it's not that I'm a great pastor. I think it's because you're a great congregation. And those of you who have been, particularly in this section, I see some of the senior adults that have been here the whole time I've been here. And they could tell you, I came here at 34. I've been married a week when we interviewed. I didn't know anything about marriage. I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I knew about theology. I didn't know anything about how to lead a church or how to deal with conflict. Or I didn't know anything. I was young. And I made a lot of mistakes. I still do. But I really made a lot of mistakes then. But I'm amazed as I look back at how gracious this congregation was and allowed me to be their leader even when I was doing things that they knew were probably a mistake. Now, ladies, I'm not, let, me, let me qualify that a little bit. <laughs> there are mistakes your husband can make and you should let him make. It doesn't mean that you can't say, hey, I disagree, I think that's a mistake and then submit to him. There's, there's, that's okay. But then there are things that your husband, men, you shouldn't do. I'm not saying, ladies, you should let your husband go out today and buy a new Ferrari, you know, when you're maxed out in your credit cards and you don't have a nickel. Yeah, or let me, <laughs> let me make it more accurate for Azel. I'm not saying, uh, husbands, you can run out today and buy that $75,000 pickup that's got all the goodies on it. And they're fantastic, aren't they? Don't even go. Don't, don't even go sit in it. You, you'll want to buy it. And they'll sell it to you. I'm amazed. In our culture, you can buy things you cannot afford. And they're happy to sell it to you. That's why God gave us wives to say, honey, I love you. You cannot have that $75,000 pickup. Now, another disclaimer, if you have a $75,000 pickup, if you can afford that, God bless you. You know, you need that for your business. I don't know what your business is, but, uh, you know, that's one thing. But if you just want to throw away money you don't have, ladies, it's understandable that you should say to your husband, sweetie, I love you. I submit to you, but that's just nutty. All right. We can't afford that. Now's not the time. Or I'm going to get in trouble with the husbands if I go any further. <laughs> I would say to this world, if submission is a bad word, 
then Christ was a bad man. Or I could say it another way. If Christ was a good man, then submission is a good word. And then lastly, submission, of course, is a matter of trust. As I said earlier, I'm asking the ladies to trust your husband. Not because he's worthy of it, but because Christ asks you to. Trust him. According to a recent Gallup poll, 73% of Americans under age 45 believe that life spent with the same partner is both unusual and unnecessary. Let me say that again. 73%, that's three out of four Americans, now believe, this is under age 45, now believe that life spent with the same partner is both unusual and unnecessary. Wow. I heard of a couple who, as they were paying for groceries in the checkout line, were discussing their soon-to-be 50th wedding anniversary when the young cashier interjected by saying, I can't imagine being married to the same man for 50 years. The wife wisely replied, well, honey, don't get married until you can. <laughs> so wives, how can you help your husband this week? I know you're sitting there asking that. Pastor, how can I help my husband this week? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm going to give you just some super practical things that you can do to help your husband this week. Number one, and you take these, by the way, with a grain of salt. These are not out of the book of Ephesians. This is not the Lord speaking. This is me. So there you go. My disclaimer. Number one, give him a night on a regular basis to do something he loves. Give him a night on a regular basis to do something he loves. Number two, mention ways you can see him growing to be more like Christ. Mention ways you can see him growing to be more like Christ. In other words, don't just tell him how he's not like Christ. <laughs> okay? Don't continually tell him how he falls short. Flip it. When he does something that is Christ-like, tell him. And don't tell him in a sarcastic tone either. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> you know. <laughs> be nice. Mention ways you see him growing to be more like Christ. It will encourage him to repeat that behavior. Three. And this may sound odd to you. I read it somewhere. Ask him about his bucket list. All of us have things that we want to do in life and accomplish in life. Do you not? Ladies, your husband wants to do something in this world before he dies or some things. Do you know what's on his bucket list? Do you know what he wants to do in this life? Ask him about it. Number four, let him make mistakes. Now, I mentioned that to you a while ago. Again, there, there's a, a limit to the mistakes, but let him make mistakes. God never said your husband would be perfect. He's not perfect. God knows that. Let him make some mistakes and still follow him. Number five, when he realizes his mistake, don't throw it in his face. When he realizes his mistake, don't throw it in his face. Now, before I go on and give you this illustration, I want you to know I'm not using any of this to retaliate against my wife. <laughs> okay? 
I'm just speaking hypothetically. Let's say she tells you to slow down. And he doesn't listen to you, ladies. He just keeps going, nodding to nothing down the highway. And then you see the lights come on behind you. The police officer pulls you over. And he comes up to the car. Ladies, as you're sitting there, try not to be smiling <laughs> when the police officer addresses your husband. And certainly don't lean over to the officer and say, I told him to slow down. That's what throwing it in his face looks like. Number next, whatever the next one is, when he does do something right, acknowledge it. You may be sitting there saying, Pastor, you don't know my husband. He, uh, he messes up a lot. Well, maybe he does. But surely he gets something right some of the time. When he does get things right, acknowledge it. Next, when you pray for him, pray words of thanksgiving for him. Don't just go to God and say, God, let me tell you about this husband. Or let me tell you what my, my husband did today and you just spew all. No. You may need to do that too, but when you pray for your husband, pray words of thanksgiving. I think God needs to hear you say that you are thankful for the husband that he gave you. Lastly, celebrate your differences. You're not alike. That's on purpose. That's not a curse. That's a blessing that you're different. Celebrate your differences. You need him and he needs you. I want to show you a clip and uh, it's interviews with some married people. One of the couples has been married over 70 years. So listen closely to what they have to say. Are you perfect for each other? What is your favorite movie? I'm an action film kind of guy, so the more guns, the more explosions, the better. A good romantic movie is more my speed. My favorite movie would probably be White Christmas. What's the best part about your spouse's favorite movie? When it ends. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What's your favorite place to vacation? Disney. What about Disney is magical? Being with my family in a fantasy world. The animatronics, the innovation, it's so high tech. And family. I mean, don't get me wrong, but family. That's why we go. Wow, 70 years. 70 long years. <laughs> In all your years of marriage, did you ever consider divorce? Often. <laughs> divorce? No. Murder? Do you disagree a lot? Well, we're different, but we're similar too. I mean, we both really love Taylor Swift. I'm into all kinds of stuff. U2, Coldplay, all the way to more Coldplay. I'm more of a Barbara Mandrell kind of girl. Yeah, she likes both kinds of music, country and Western. So who controls the radio in the car? The, the kids. kids. Have you ever had a heated disagreement? This afternoon. How did you resolve your differences? How did we resolve it? We prayed and then we're different people, but our similarities are as many as our differences. We are very different. But we have so much in common. 
Either she's really tiny or he's really big, uh, one or the other. Amen. So remember those things. Again, and I'll leave you with this. I don't ever want to sound like I'm apologizing for what's in the Bible. Don't let this world shame you into thinking that the Bible is oppressive or wrong because it is not. God knows you. He knows your marriage and he knows what will bless you the most. Trust him. Trust him. And God will give you the marriage that you need. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today. We want to say thank you for our marriages, for our wives, for our husbands, for, for meeting that need in our life. Father, we are also reminded that there are things that you want to teach us that you, you chose to teach us through marriage. And this is a learning event for us. This is a learning relationship. We ask and pray that you would use our marriage to draw us closer to you and to make us more like Christ. We pray that you would use our marriage to be glorified through us. Father, for the men here, I ask and pray that you would help us to love our wives sacrificially, to be willing to give ourselves up for them to sacrifice however we need to. To love our wives more than we love ourselves or anything else. And Father, I ask and pray that you would help the wives today to trust their husbands, to submit to his leadership. Not because he's better, because he's not. Not because he's more important in the relationship, he is not. Or not because he's more valued by you, because he is not. We are all made in your image, all equal in your eyes. Father, we ask and pray that you're glorified through our submission to Jesus Christ. That the best thing that we can do for our marriage 
is to submit ourselves to Christ right now, to honor your word, to allow Christ to be the Lord and the King of our life. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning to lift your marriage up to God and say, God, I pray that you would make my marriage even better. Help me to be the best husband that I can be. Help me to be the wife that you desire for me to be. Help me to sacrifice more of my wife genuinely to demonstrate my love for her. Help me to trust my husband even when I disagree with him. Help our marriage bring you glory. It may be that God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to make a public decision to accept Christ and be a candidate for baptism, or you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. This opportunity is here now for you. No one's looking around. Would you stand as everyone stands and everyone bows and prays? Right now, you come. In Christ.